Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. If you do have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Job, and we are continuing today on our series, Present Pain, Future Glory, and we're using the reference from Romans 8.18, where Paul says this, that I don't consider, and that is a math or accounting term, meaning I've done the math, it adds up that this present suffering or present pain can be compared to the glory which will be revealed how? in us. It can't go through us if it isn't revealed in us. And so I really do believe that our theology must be bigger and greater than our pain to experience future glory. When we have a biblical theology on suffering and pain, it brings healing to the pain. And pain in and of itself has no redemptive quality, but God can. Christ redeemed us in pain and suffering, and he could bring redemption to our suffering. Now, today we're going to the oldest book in the Bible, and it's the book of Job. Many people see it, and they call it Job, and trust me, it's a job to read Job. But in it, it has revelation, not so much why of human suffering, but how to connect God and what to do when there is meaningless suffering come our way. Now, Job is a book. Go to chapter 1. That's where we're going to begin. Job chapter 1, if you're confused where it's at, it's right before Psalms and right before uh, Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Job is a book where some people have never read. How many of you have ever read the book of Job? Okay, a few of you. Now, some people, they haven't even gone near the book of Job, but those some that have, sometimes it messes with their thinking and their theology. But I really believe today God is going to give you a revelation in that we will be able to live free of pain and suffering of our past or maybe present day. In Job, let me just lay out how it begins. This is the oldest book in the Bible. It starts with a prologue. And a prologue is an independent story about the story. And in the uh, prologue, it reveals a court scene, and it's in heaven. And there is God Almighty. He has the Elohim, or the angels, or the sons of God. It's like a council coming together. And Satan comes, but in the Hebrew, they don't just call him a Satan. Like when someone takes my parking spot, or they cut me off on the 101, or yesterday in college football, sometimes I'll call an individual and go, there goes Satan. And so, and Satan isn't just a Satan or a malfigured person. It is the Satan, and meaning really the only one. And get this, in Hebrew, it means accuser or the opposer or a diabolical prosecutor. And that's why in Revelation it says the accuser of the brethren, do you hear me? Who accuses them before their God day and night. Can I see? the chief role.
role of the devil is to accuse us, but we're going to begin to see what God really thinks about us, and your life is going to be changed today. Then so we see this, that in chapter 1, this accuser comes, and I want you to pick up with me and listen to what the Lord said about Satan. Now, I want you to just put the brakes on just for a bit. Over 10 years ago, when my wife, my beautiful wife, Becky, who really, Becky is one of the kindest people I've ever met. I am not. You could offend her. It's going to be okay. You offend me. It depends if I had a coffee that day, how that's going to go down. And when Becky was diagnosed with lymphoma, I want you to hear the first words that came out of her mouth. And Becky, you're going to get a revelation today. I should have told you when we were watching LSU as day one yesterday. Hey. Okay, all you lovers of football. And so this is what she said. She said, what did I do to deserve this? And if you could hear what I am saying, Yes, there are times that evil and suffering come into our life because of our wrong choices. You do bad, get bad. Do bad, get bad. Do good, get good. So if I'm intoxicated and I'm driving and I get in an accident, no one's going to ask the question why. It's when bad, evil, meaningless pain happens to good people. We don't know why. And this is the oldest book in the entire scripture. And so I want you to hear this. What does God think about Becky? The same thing he thinks about Job. So I want you to look at this, Job chapter 1, and we're going to begin to read what he says. He says, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? A blameless man. I want you to circle that right there. A blameless man. Now listen, blameless doesn't mean false. Faultless. It means that your motives are right through a relationship with God. An upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So that goes right along with Proverbs, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And fear isn't like a cowering fear, but it's an awestruck, worshiping fear that we are in awe of God Almighty and we shun evil. And that's what God said. So I want you to get this. Then Satan or the Satan, this diabolical, ferocious prosecutor, listen to what he responds. And he is in this courtroom in heaven with God. And Satan says this. He answered the Lord and said, does Job worship you, fear you, revere you for nothing? Have you not made, please underline the word hedge. That's very, very important. Because let me just say, whenever you or I go through pain, it's very important that we have people in our life that build a hedge, not tear a hedge down. Are you with me? I want people who are going to build a protective wall around my mind when my heart is confused because hell is struck. And I want to blame God, get mad at God, curse at God, instead of deconstruct human opinion why this happened, I want people who are going to help me keep a hedge in my life. Are you with me? And he said, hey, 
Have you not made a hedge around him? Get this, around him, around his household, around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and surely he will curse you to your face. Now get this, Job lost everything. He lost his family. He lost his business, his possessions. He even lost his health. He lost everything. Now, I want to begin to get back. When, if you have your Bibles, if you go to the first book in the Bible or the table of contents, you will see that Genesis is the first book, and it's the book of beginnings. And many people think that was the first book written. Now, the events in Genesis from creation to the flood to the fall of humanity, that those events took place before the time and setting of Job. Now, which really interesting in this book Job there's no time or setting really it's written in the land of us and so it's not in Jerusalem it is not in Israel he is not Jewish and some say this was written 400 years before Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible and one of the reasons I'll give you a couple reasons why they believe this number one they believe it was written before the Torah because they there's no mention of a temple, of priest, of sacrifice, of the law, of Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob in the covenant of Abraham. Also, another thing, some of his children, their names dated before the Torah. These were names that were used 400 years before the Torah. Another reason why they say this is the oldest book, because once we get to the time of Abraham in Moses, in Jacob, in Isaac, when they talk of a man's wealth, they would include gold and silver. But in the book of Job, his wealth is accumulated by his flocks, and that was something that predated the Torah. Now, get this last thing, and no more history. Don't worry, no more history. I know what you're thinking. Bring the fire like you did last week. Fire's coming, trust me. Yeah, flame on. So here we go. Another thing you see in the Torah, only men got inheritance until the daughters of Zelophehad. But Job left an inheritance for his daughters, okay? Now get this, there in, there's a courtroom scene in heaven. And Job is struck. And you know what his wife said? Just curse God. Curse God. Let me just say this. Whenever you and I face undescribable, un, we can't even understand it, pain and suffering, do not go to the phone first. Go to the throne. Reject human opinion. I'm telling you, it's probably going to be wrong. Now, God sent three friends, three friends. And this is beautiful. When someone goes, now I'm just going to say, I'm not going to stand up. I'm going to save that when I just start going crazy up in hell. But when someone's going through pain, these three friends came and they sat with Job and did not say one thing 
for an entire week. They just wept with him. And I think that is beautiful. I think that tells us that when someone's going through something, they don't need your sermon. They don't need to know what Tony Robbins says, the Buddha said, Socrates, or the president. And can I say, they may not need a little scripture. Maybe they need your presence and to weep with those who weep and be with those who are going through hell and just walk them out of the shadow valley. Just keep on walking and some Sometimes a sermon isn't needed then. I think sometimes we preach when we should be quiet. And sometimes we're quiet when we should speak up and preach. Come on. Can you say amen? Now, listen to this. After the seven days, I wish they would have uh, done that. They would have just kept their, their mouths quiet, but they began to speak, and that's when trouble comes. Now, he has three friends that sat with him. Then they started talking. Is Eliphaz, the Tenamite. Then I like this, Bildad, the Shubite, and Zophar, the Namathite. And these men, they, now get, let me tell you what they represent. They represent the best of all of Eastern uh, wisdom on why suffering is in the world. And so what Job does, how he, he begins to question God, and he, this is his first question. He say, I mean, the first thing he begins to question and declare, he says, I am innocent. And if I am innocent, why has this come upon me? Now, let me just say this. I have read this book over 50 times, and I never got this until about 10 days ago. Wait a minute. The only reason Job could say he's innocent because of a court in heaven that said he was innocent. God's the one who first said, did you consider my servant Job? There's no one like, you need to under, no, 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 no. Somebody get your Bible right now, go back to Job. Because I know some Christians in here thought, I didn't even know that was inspired. Yes, all scripture is inspired. I want you to underline that in your body. Have you considered my servant Job there? is no one like him. When the devil comes in pain to try to tell you God's punishing you because you are a lesser form in who you think you are, you need to say, no, God thinks I'm blameless. God thinks I'm upright. God thinks I love him. God calls me a worshiper. Come on. And Job begins to do that. He literally says that. He says, hey, I am innocent. Now, Job is the oldest book answering the oldest question, why pain? Write that down. Job is the oldest book answering the oldest question, why pain in the universe is someone so good, so upright? Why did he lose his family? Why did he lose his possessions? And why did he lose his health? You just need to begin to remember that. And I want to tell you, when God is, speaks the most, get it? When God speaks the most in the entire scripture, it's when we need it the most. Okay, that went over like, mm, I don't know what you mean. I'm going to say it again. When God speaks the most in Scripture, it's when we need to hear God the most. And you may not know this because some people go, I don't understand, Joe. Well, get through it if you can, but get to chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. It is the longest speech of God to the human race in all of Scripture. And guess what he's addressing? Mindless, useless 
hopeless, evil, ferocious, demonic pain, which comes from an evil despot called the Satan and not God. And what does God think of us when undeniable pain happens to us? He's not trying to cast us away from himself. He's trying to bring us to himself. So we are in the courtroom of human opinion. There is an overwhelming mystery when bad things happen to good people. And pain and suffering are inseparable from all our experience. We begin to wonder why. We wonder why. Now, I want you to begin to think about this. God sent three friends to Job. And remember, what did Satan, the Satan, say to God? He said, haven't you hedged Job in? He said, you hedged his money in, his family in, you hedged his body in. He said, remove that hedge and I will touch him and he will curse you. And Job's wife actually said, Job, curse him, get it over with because you're done. Now get this, God sent three friends. I believe those men were to stand in the hedge in the gap for Job, for his family, for his possessions, and for his health. But instead of standing in the gap, they tore down down the gap. And how did they tear down the gap? They were using human reasoning to try to figure out why pain in the universe and why pain in Job's life. And the number one reason, please get this, and Job kind of said this too. He said, wait, this is what they begin to question. Is God just? If something bad is happening to Malisa and she believes God, is God unjust? That's their first question. How can that be? Well, first of all, when God sees Lisa, he's not, he's not checking around saying, oh, she told a fib or she wasn't nice to Gary. And, oh, she, she uh, didn't go to church. He's not even looking at her that way. When God sees you and I because of the work of Jesus Christ, you know what he says about us? They're innocent. They're upright. They worship me. Have you considered them? <clears throat> Are you with me on that? And so the three friends begin to say, no, no, God is just. This is how they want God to rule the universe. He, they want God to rule the universe that when someone does bad, get this, I'm going to slow down and bring the volume because I'm going to be yelling a lot come a few minutes. Do bad, get bad. Do bad, get bad. Do good, get good. Well, wait a minute, Job did good, but he got bad. And so the three friends said, nope, you must have some secret sin in your life. And I've done the same thing when tragedy hits a person. You know, where did you open the door for the devil? Now, you know I come, I was raised Catholic. Then I would uh, become a Pentecostal in 1980. Then I would go to a Baptist church. I guess I'm a Baptist, Hail Mary, full of grace and Catholic. And now one of the things, if you come from a Pentecostal kind of a faith-oriented background, the number one scripture they use in Job that they say allowed this useless pain and suffering to come into his life, that he feared, and you could write this reference down, the thing that I feared has come upon me, and that Job opened a door. That is simply not 
true because the first chapter of Job and the very last chapter of Job, which is the epilogue, they have the prologue and the epilogue. In the epilogue, God says, Job is innocent. Job is upright. Job fears me. So God never did that. I do not believe that's why the enemy was able to attack him. We live in a world that is beautiful, but it is wild. And God says he can redeem our pain and our suffering. Can you say amen? Now, I want you to write this down. In, throughout, it, it's three cycles, and it goes most of the book, and it's very dense, and it's Hebrew poetry going back and forth. Job begins his uh, question. This is his first question. He says, hey, God, where are you? I've been praying. In fact, you know what it says? We know it was written before the Torah because Job would offer sacrifice. Anyone after Moses would never offer a sacrifice without a priest. And so Job literally says, hey, God, where are you? You are not just. You're not just in ruling and managing this universe. Then the next one, he comes and he says, give me an explanation while I'm suffering. Now, the friends, they said, because you have sin in your life. You're not upright. You've done something. You have bad energy, bad karma. You made a bad choice. You're fearing something. Then all of a sudden, Job, I love this man. You know what he says to them? He says this. He says, you miserable counselors, I am done with your advice. How many of you have friends, when you see them in Starbucks, you'll go to Pete's Coffee just to stay away from that miserable individual? And can I say, what happens when we welcome people like that in our pain and suffering? Watch, watch, watch who you invite into your pain. And please make sure whoever comes that they're building up the hedge, not tearing the hedge down, and that you're not deconstructing your faith in God, but you are deconstructing their false opinions of God. Woo! Did you hear what I just said? I'm not, now, can I tell you, when you're going through suffering and pain, and it's a courtroom scene in heaven, we do not need just intelligence from Harvard, Yale, Princeton, or Berkeley. We need insight and revelation. Go with me to Job 11.7. Go to Job 11.7, and I love what it says. Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? And the answer is no. They can not. Now, listen to this. Again, they, they are coming and their opinions are saying, no, you were wrong. You deserve this because they, in their mind, they thought if something bad happens in the universe, that nation, those groups of people, that family, that individual must have done something wrong or opened the door to evil. Can I say evil comes because we live in a broken world? And I want you to get this. I want you to uh, write this down. This is an amazing, amazing scripture, Job 9, 32 to 33, and I'm going to read it. And can I say, and I'm going to stand up on this, when we're going through something that is horrific, the last thing, and I'll tell you what God is really against. He is against platitudes and little band-aids that we put on something that is horrible. It would be better for the three friends to have kept silent than try to give a solution. Listen, not only do we as human beings, we have an overwhelming tendency that when we have gone through trauma 
or abuse or something that's unimaginable that cannot be explained, that that's all we focus on. And the more we focus on the injustice that happened to us, the more Satan, the accuser, the opposer comes into that wound and he infects it in the unforgiveness and the bitterness and the resentment grow until it morphs into hatred and the hatred first is really funneled and channeled to God and then it goes to those who hurt us but yet can I say when we are suffering I'm gonna sit down because I'm really gonna get hyped up we do not need just someone's opinion I don't need Stephen Hawkins mathematical formula as if one math problem is going to solve all the evil and the mystery of suffering in the world. I don't think Elon Musk could really do it. I don't think Steve Jobs could have done it. I do not think Amazon could deliver it. I know you're an Amazon Prime member, but they cannot deliver that. There's only two things that will get us out of a cul-de-sac of relentless hell, and that is I need a mediator and I need a ransom to get me out of this mess. And notice, he's not giving you five ways to get out. He's just showing you that we have an advocate when we go through hell. Read this with me. This is Job 9, 32 to 33. For he, God, is not a man as I am. Why? That I may answer him. And that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who has laid his hands, lays his hands on us both. So Job is saying, I need a mediator. He's not man as I am. I need someone who's going to put his hand on God, his hand on me, and bring us together. Go to Job 16.21 and write down the word mediator and ransom. Look at Job 16.21. It says, oh, that one might plead. Come on, that's prayer. That one might plead for a man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. The three friends were there to plead for Job, not give Job their cheap, flip answers on why he's suffering. And go now to Job 33. Job 33. And this is amazing. And look at verses 23 and 24. If there is a messenger for him, and what is Job saying? Hey, God, I'm innocent. I thought you were good. I don't think you're managing the universe too well. I, I don't think you're doing a good job at all, Lord. And can I say, have you ever read Hamlet in high school? I did my sophomore year. And remember what he said of the enemy and suffering? That the enemy does not come in like one single spy. But when the enemy or suffering or pain comes in, it's in Hamlet. It's Shakespeare. He says this. I don't know if Shakespeare. That was more Australian than British. And someone goes, yeah. And so he says this. It comes more like a battalion. And that's what happened to Job. They had a messenger come, said all your children were feasting and they were destroyed. Uh, your possession, a wind came and they were destroyed. Then his health, it came one after another. It says while he was receiving one message, he couldn't even process it. Then another messenger came. I am here. God is able when the enemy comes in like a battalion of hell, the Lord himself can raise up a standard against him through a ransom, through a mediator, through Jesus Christ that we could begin to go into the school of God and receive how to get out of hell's fire. Can you say amen? Okay, now, I want to do this. Write this word down, catechism. 
for former Catholics, you're really, you're going, you're freaking out. What is he talking about? Back to going, what, what, what is that? Just write it down, catechism. I want you to put cosmos and the cross. Catechism, cosmos, and the cross. I want you to begin to do this. Now, listen, catechism is a spiritual instruction arranged in a form of questions and answers. Get this, a form of questions and answers. Do you remember uh, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus went to a conference? It was the last great day of the feast. And they left the temple in Jerusalem, and Joseph thought Mary had Jesus. Mary thought Joseph had Jesus. Three days going back to Nazareth from Jerusalem, Mary asked Joseph, hey, do you have God? And Joseph said, no, I thought you had God. No, you had God. My God, we lost God. They go back to the temple. Jesus at 12 is sitting, get this, he's asking them questions. They're asking him questions. And they're astonished, get this, at his insight, at his knowledge, at his understanding. You see, questions will either awaken us to revelation and insight. But if they're bad questions or wrong questions or useless questions, they can darken us. Now get this. Do you know who the first catechism teacher was? Oh, it wasn't God. You see, in Genesis 3, God created everything. And Satan, that, that accuser, the oppressor, the accuser came in the form of a snake. And he said that, did God really say? So what was Satan trying to do with the perfect couple, Adam and Eve? He was trying to cast a shadow on the integrity of God that God is holding out on you. And then so they would believe that lie and then they would sin. And then the next question is when God comes and says, Adam, where are you? Now, when God asks you and I a question, hear me when I tell you, he knows the answer. He does not need our help. He doesn't want to know Oprah's opinion, Ellen's opinion, Jude's opinion, Becky's opinion, the Baptist opinion, the Jewish opinion. He wants to tell you his own opinion. And why did he say, Adam, where are you? Because when God asks a question, it awakens us. Are you with me? So catechism is when we're awakened through questions and we answer. So you know what Job did? He went through, I'm innocent. God, you're good. But no, you're not good. Oh, Lord, you're, you're negligent in running the universe. Then you know what Job said? God, I want to meet you in court. I want to meet you in court. and You're going to answer me. And you know what? God said, okay, go to chapter 38. Go to chapter 38, and God begins to answer Job. Now, Rochelle, he's, we're never going to know why, but we're going to begin to see how we can heal from any trauma or any evil or any suffering in our life. Look how it starts off. You have chapter 38, you have chapter 39, 40, and 41. The epilogue is 42, the story after the story. It says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this who darkened? get this, who darkens my counsel by words without knowledge. Now, one translation or a commentary says this, who is this that darkens my revelation by your useless questions? Wrong questions. God, why did this happen? I just gave you $10. Why did I get fired? I don't know. Maybe because you didn't show up to work for a year. That's why. All right, let's move on. 
Now prepare yourself like a man. Get this. Prepare yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Or who stretched out the line upon it? To where was the foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So chapter 38, God starts off. And I love, this is one of my favorite ones in 38. He goes, hey, were you there, Job, when I created the snowflake? And do you know the snowflake, every one of them is different? And, and he said, and I have them in a barn. Where were you? When I say, sun, you stand here. Uh, 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 moon, you hide until night. Ocean, come uh, uh, back up, ocean, back up. Where were you when I created all that? Now, if that wouldn't have been enough, then chapter 39 is really unbelievable. In chapter 39, he starts going through the animal kingdom. He said, Job, were you there when I fed the mountain goats, which no one usually sees mountain goats? Hey, were you there when the wild donkey is mating and eating and I put the pattern for the lions? He goes through the animal kingdom. Then he comes to chapters 40 and 41, and I want you to begin to get this un unbelievable. In chapter 40, and I'm going to read it. Can you go to 40? And it's verses 1 and 2, then 15 and 19. He begins to uh, mention two animals. And he says this, moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer. Look now at the Bamoth, which I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. He is the first of the ways of God. Only he who made him can bring him near his sword. Then go to chapter 41. And this is verse 1. Can you draw Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line that you lord? Now get this. This is what's really, really amazing. And I think you will begin to get this. Many people with those two creatures... They have, and I'm having the band come up, they believe it's a hippopotamus and a, uh, a hippopotamus and a crocodile. But it's mentioned in Isaiah and Psalm. And many believe that these two creatures are actually mid-eastern ancient mythology that they're creatures and they represent and they're beautiful god never calls these creatures evil in fact he's astonished at these creatures but he's showing job and us that the world we live in i want you to follow me when you begin to look at our world and you see how amazing it is. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Let the mountains bow. Let the oceans roar. That when we begin to think at the order of this universe, we know our God is not negligent. He is infinitely, intricately involved in everything in the universe. But when pain comes to a Christian, we draw back and say, God, if you know everything and you're making all these choices, why God? Why couldn't you stop the drunk driver? Why didn't you stop? My God, why did our baby at the age of 12 and 13 pass away with an incurable malignancy? And it hurts your heart. And you so want to believe in God. But somehow we must know this. It's one of the greatest lies. Come on, what philosophy are you and I going to embrace? And there's not a Republican. There's not a Democrat. There's not an independent that could give us such an answer. And so what did God do? He went first. 38, here's all a creation. 
and it's beautiful. Then 39, he shows the animal kingdom. Then 40, he gives this animal. Then 41, another animal. And you know what he's doing? He is saying the world that you live in is beautiful. It's ordered. My intelligence, which is infinite, designed it. But the world that you live in is not a safe world. And because this world is orderly, there's suffering in this world. Like these two mytholo uh, mythological creatures, they're awesome. We stand in awe of them, but they can injure. In the world we live in, guess what? DNA is an amazing thing, but at times when a child is born with wrong DNA, even my wife Becky, you said, well, how did the malignancy come? Well, her B cell in the DNA stopped working. How did Wendell get the cancer he got? Well, the 49th chromosome wasn't working. That wasn't God. God wasn't trying to punish Wendell. I remember one of our pastors on staff after Wendell was diagnosed with an incurable cancer said, we know what he's done. God is doing that to teach him a lesson. That is one of Job's friends and they represent collectively all the intelligence and philosophy to describe the why of suffering. God never deals with why, but he shows beyond our life in this world, and he begins to question, and if he holds this world in the palm of his hand, he could hold my life when I'm going through a shadow valley saying, God, what's going on? Amen? And let me just say something. When I told that pastor God's teaching Wendell. I said, I know what's in your life and what you've done is worse than what he's done. So what is God going to do to judge you? And we are not here to tear down another believer's gap or their hedge. The Bible says, I look for someone to stand in the hedge for the one who's being attacked and they don't know why. And God never says why, but he begins to say, hey, he said, were you there when I created and I still love that Nicole C. Mullen song, Redeemer. Tells the sun to stand still, ocean come but back up. That's our God. And if he holds this world together by the word of his power, he could hold my life together when I'm suffering. Amen. Now get this, get this, get this. This is all, it's too good. Then 42 comes. And you'll never guess what God says of Job. I was, I was crying this morning. In the beginning, he said, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. Michelle, that's what God says of you. When your Job is attacked, he gets injured. Don't think God's trying to teach you a lesson. He said, have you considered her? Look at her. She saw that dense sun and a, pink, a can of Pringles. That's what he's saying. But guess what? In the last chapter... Now, we know Job's thinking was off. And we know that Job didn't say everything right. But God says, you three men, what you have spoken of my servant Job, he is innocent. He is upright. He actually says this word, blameless. You know what I like about the word blameless? It actually says this of a pastor or an elder or a bishop. They should be blameless. That doesn't mean faultless. That means motives are pure and they trust God. And God says, have you considered him? He's pure. He is upright. He fears me. So can I say at the end of Job's life, when he was 70 years old, when this pain came, 
He lived another 70 years. He had more livestock, more children, but he did not get that reward because he did things good. We have to break the theology, do good, get good, do good, get good, do good, get good. That works on a job or maybe not, but when it comes to God, you need to know you have a redeemer. Now go with me. This is the last scripture. I want you to really get this. Go with me. This is Job, unbelievable, 19. And again, the oldest book in the Bible. Had no knowledge of the Torah. Many believe that this story and book was circulated in Midian when Moses, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he told him this story. But it says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives. Somebody should shout. I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. Whom shall I see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. How my heart yearns within me. Do you know what Redeemer is? It means to buy back. And you know what God is saying? We, hey, I bought you. And I didn't buy you with silver and gold, but I bought you with the precious blood of my son. And they one day will be a mediator. And God will become a man. And the God-man will be Jesus Christ, the ultimate Joe. And when we go through hell and suffering, and it hurts all the way down to the core of our being, and we want to begin to deconstruct our faith in God, there's one who comes and they want us to come into their Sunday school class, and it's God. He wants you to look at Christ. Creation. He wants you to look at the animal kingdom. He wants you to look at this figure and that figure. But most of all, he wants you to know your Redeemer lives. And he shall put his foot on this earth. And you know what happened in that moment? And I love what Job 42 says. He said, I have heard of you with my ears. I believe the day we're living in, we hear so much about what's happening in the nation. Where is God? Is he on a vacation? Is he left the universe? Does he even care? Does he even know? Is he negligent? Can I tell you, God is a good God. And we see in chapters 1 and 2, the Elohim of God, that great counsel came in. The sons of God came in and the Satan, that accuser, came in with. And he's now trying to do what he did to the first couple. He put a bad light on God's reputation, integrity. Now he's trying to do it with us, saying we deserve this. No, we don't deserve this because Jesus Christ already paid for every bad thing I ever did. So you know what happened? In the courtroom, there was God the Father. The Satan said, touch him, remove the hedge. And then Satan's allowed to touch him. Then all of a sudden, Satan comes back in. He said, look, he's doubting you. He may not have cursed you. He's bringing the case. Maybe he's saying about me. Maybe he's saying about you. Look what they have done. Then there's a commotion in the courtroom in the Elohim. 
And this one is a defense attorney. And he comes with a fierceness in his eyes. And he has feet of bronze. His hair is now white like wool. And his eyes flame with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And he said, Father, yes, Job did say this. And yes, he doubted. But Father, I want you to know, there will be a day I will die on a cross. And it will be at the hands of the Satan. And it will be unjust. But Father, I say, he is righteous he is innocent he is blameless and I love what God said to the three friends your opinion of me is wrong and I want to say in this church when someone's suffering we're not going to put a Disney band-aid on it when people are suffering maybe leave your sermons at home don't tell them about the podcast cook them a meal bring them a coffee and just stand with them then when they're ready let's begin to take them through the catechism of God saying if he holds the universe together he'll hold you we don't need to give an answer for everything we're not that smart think of it most atheists deconstructed their faith ultimately because of undescribable pain that seemed uh, meaningless when bad things happen to good people. But those three friends, they were getting us to deconstruct our relationship with God. But guess what God's catechism did? He got Job to deconstruct his bad ideas about God, the universe, and life. We live in a beautiful world, but this world is not safe because it can rain on the just and the unjust. And that's not evil, that's blessing. Blessing comes to the whole world as well. Can you give the Lord a shout and a hand clap? I want to do this today. And uh, I'm late. Why didn't y'all tell me? I guess it's his suit. Um, I want to activate the altar. And this is how I want to do it. If you had a wrong opinion of God at one point in your life because of evil, one time Becky and I were coming back from California in a van, brown van we got in an automobile accident and that day I woke up I prayed an hour read through scripture I prayed a hedge around my family I did and we got hit and it was on Becky's side I was so mad in that that trip I was gripping my teeth not in front of the boys because I didn't want them to hate God I said really does it pay to pray And all of a sudden, this impression came to me. You're fortunate that that angel was there that kept that car from hitting Becky. And it hit the the right front wheel instead of her door. He said, Jude, only eternity will reveal how much I had to protect you. I had to give many angels to encamp around about you to keep your butt safe are you with me don't be blaming me now I want to activate the altar this way if you need to deconstruct opinions in your head of why this happened or that happened and begin to have a clear view of who God is I want you to stand at your feet right now just stand up Maybe I didn't say that right because two people. If you've ever had suffering, pains, wounds that almost caused you to deconstruct your faith, 
And you need to begin to deconstruct some of those wrong opinions. Maybe it was your mom saying, you see, this is what happens to us. Well, your Uncle Joe got that. Your aunt got that. Your dad got that. We'll uh-uh-uh-uh. Get out of here. No, no, you're, no, no, no. God doesn't say that. If you think maybe you deserved it because God was judging you. He, look, God knows all our thoughts. And if it's going to roll that way, then every one of us needs to be judged. If that's you, you need to deconstruct some of those bad opinions that are destroying your faith in God. I want you to stand on your feet just right where you're at. And we're going to begin to worship. Before we do, I want to pray. Father, right now we come. And I pull down every vain imagination, every lofty thought, and every thought that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of Jesus Christ. God, we have been bewildered, some of us, from that point onward. When we go, it still paralyzes us. It causes stress. We have a disorder in our thinking when we think about it. I come now. God was not trying to get you. He was not trying to pay you back. He was not trying to harm you. If God is for you, no one can be against you. And God, we say Jesus is the ultimate Joe. He's the one who suffered at the hands of injustice. He was the perfect friend that builds the hedge for us. And I command a healing and a freedom and a reciprocity in Jesus' name. Let's worship. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com and click give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.